0: Welcome back to Happy Porch Radio, the podcast for progressive agency owners and web professionals. Season three is focused on the growing number of agencies who are making the world a better place. We explore what this even means. Why is it different from any other agency? And how can it be reconciled with the real world challenges of running a profitable agency? Join your host, Barry O'Kane, as he speaks to leaders of agencies who are driven by their values to positively impact the world around them.
1: Hello and welcome back to Happy Port Radio Season 3. This week's guest has a cool story as to why she is running a socially impact-focused design studio. Both her and her co-founder arrived in the US as refugees. She describes being very aware of how lucky they were and how not everyone else has the same luck as being a key factor in their motivation. Julia and her co-founder started HyperAct 16 years ago. They describe HyperAct as a New York social impact design studio that partners with visionary organizations to tell their stories. And in this conversation, Julia shares her story with us. From how challenging the early years were and how that changed as the agency matured and how alongside that growth, they have become clearer and clearer On their mission. So let's meet Julia.
0: Hi, my name is Julia Zelter. I'm a creative director, principal, and co founder of Hyperact. And Hyperact is a social impact agency. We are located in Brooklyn, New York. And we have been doing this thing, this Hyperact thing, since 2001 which means that we've been in business for 16 years, and it's always hard to mention <laughs> that I've been saying something like this.
1: Yeah, that's but really amazing.
0: There you have it.
1: And so Hyperact is, or how would you describe Actra like in terms of your mission and the purpose for the agency?
0: Sure. I think it might be good to start a little bit with our story to help shed some light as to how we came to the mission we have. So HyperC has been uh, founded by myself and my business partner in the United States, where I received a status of refugees back in our countries and moved here. I'm from Ukraine and my business partner is from Cuba. And as refugees and immigrants to this country, we've been given an amazing opportunity to live in this country, to study in this country. And frankly speaking, you know, one would call it a lucky chance and or a fair chance. We went to amazing art school. We felt like our backgrounds, kind of immigrant family backgrounds, um, had a very similar work ethic. And we, frankly speaking, you know, together started tripping away at this American dream and... You know, Hyperact was born out of that and this belief that we got a fair chance and realization that some people don't have that fair chance and never will have that ch- fair chance because there are things placed, um, structures placed f- in front of them that don't allow them to get that fair chance. So this this whole idea for Hyperact, uh, in parts, was born from an idea that we believe that in a world of inclusion and where the bias is confronted and everyone has a fair chance. And we started this agency without this plan, frankly speaking. We were so very young when we started Hyperact. We were kids, we were fresh out of college with very few years of experience, um, any work experience behind our belt and we we wanted to try something of our own we 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 tried to pay our bills through agency work you know while we were polishing our craft uh, working in different big um, ad agencies we were really just look watching how uh, this our skills were go just going the talent was going to waste the endless commercials for car companies, detergent hair products, and you had to ask yourself a question, okay, I'm getting good paycheck here, but my heart is not in it. And to make sure that our heart was In it, we we started doing a a bit of uh, volunteering work for small, tiny activist groups here locally in Brooklyn, uh, tiny nonprofits. And our talent went to producing something for someone who didn't have something good. And they were impacting people on the ground with their work. And that felt very, very good. And we started doing more and more of that. And about five years in, we started to ask ourselves a question, well, Look, working for nonprofits or kind of mission-driven companies, values-driven companies, was exciting for us. But how do we figure out how to balance that and run as a hyperact as a sustainable business with smaller nonprofits that usually don't have budgets? And and it took many many years to figure it out. But finally, we kind of I would say at about eight-year mark, we said this is now our full mission. And there were variations of that mission, but for majority of it, it was towards the
1: direction of social impact, that we will only concentrate on that.
0: And we've been doing that kind of work ever since.
1: So what was that journey like? As you say, you're reaching that five-year mark and you're making this decision to kind of transition or really focus on that. Was that a challenging process? Like you described the process of the financial challenges, I guess, around successful agency. Was that a challenging process, that period when you were in that transition period?
0: It was, in retrospect, I could say that. But back when we were doing this, you know, keep in mind we are in twenty, somewhere from twenty-two to twenty-five, you know, age age range. We are inexperienced. We we haven't tasted anything but, you know, with the work we're doing. And we don't know what we're missing out on or perhaps what we're gaining from it. We are just doing what we see a few steps ahead of us. And so the challenges were in financially, you know, now I could say absolutely. We made so very little money in our first year. We supported ourselves, you know, I could say now in kind of risky way of, you know, some credit card debt to make sure that we stay afloat for 3 4 years just to make sure that we could push this business forward i paid off my student's loan fairly quickly you know again from the story of how as a refugee i've i've, I've got a fair chance i a lot of my loan, a lot of my tuition was covered by student grants and scholarship and i didn't have a whole lot of loans to pay so that was wonderful and i i was able to save up money a little bit uh, after I uh, graduated. So yeah, I ended up, ended up living on some of that money. There was a great support from now my husband, but he was a believer in this. And he said, whatever needs to get done, you know, I'm here to support you. So I was able to kind of wiggle my way through the financial hardship uh, at that time with a hope and a promise that something will be better. So that's the financial aspect of it. But in that time, we also knew nothing about business, how to run. We were. It's important to say that both Dira and I studied illustration at Parsons School of Design, and what we didn't study at all is business. And so, contract signing, we knew some bare minimum. Uh, we didn't know how to price. We didn't know how to organize. We didn't know some some basic um, client etiquette. And that came with a hard price of, you know, stumbling and getting hard knocks for the first five years. But I honestly can't imagine doing it any other way. We did it our way and our way was clumsy and maybe not as fast, but it was our way and we did it together in that time. And it formed a really strong friendship, a strong partnership. We knew we could depend on each other. And then we started, you know, thinking about how to grow the business. And in about, uh, you know, five years, we were figuring things out still at, I would say about seven year mark, uh, someone had suggested that we speak to a business consultant and we were in a position where, well, look, we need to, because something is not working for us structurally, financially. We know that things can improve. How do we get there? And a friend of ours introduced us to uh, a business consultant, Emily Cohn, here uh, in New York. And she opened our eyes to what what it means to run a creative business. She started working with us on how to properly write propo- proposals, how to estimate, how to plan, um, how to hire properly. She did an analysis on our team where our gaps were, whom we should hire to fill in certain responsibilities, so how we should delegate. She really held our hand and we were in a position where, look, we've tried it for so many years our way and our way kind of, you know, we exhausted our way. We need a different way. And we believe that if we follow her steps, we can get to a better place and we did it and it was you know it was life-saving experience for us (laughs) Mm,
1: that's really interesting about bringing in a sort of the third party or the the consultant and coach it's something that in happy porch radio and over the last few seasons it's a bit of a recurring theme how big an impact that can have and you're it's interesting you use the word life-saving there how big an impact that was do you think that if you hadn't brought in somebody that the business would be like it is today?
0: Hard to say. I think that we would figure things out in a different way. It would still have the social impact. We, it would take us longer to get there. We would bring in different people. I think we we're in a position where we needed help and we recognize we needed help. We just didn't know whom to turn to for that help. And, and I believe stars aligned when Emily came to us because she specialized in supporting creative businesses. And there are so many other consultants out there that support other businesses. But what sold us on her specifically was because she catered to the creative industry and she's been doing it for at that point, she said 25 years, and now it's way more than that. And that really just said, you know, we just need to know how we're doing in comparison to other creative design studios. And that gave us a sense of comfort, a sense of confidence, and a plan, really, to how to solve for some of our problems.
1: How different do you think that journey would have been if you hadn't focused on the social impact, the mission-driven type of work
0: Oh, I think it would be completely different. I think our process would be different. Conversations we would have would be different. I think people, the employees would be significantly different. Everything would be so very different. Running a social impact firm comes uh, with a specific set of expectation, what the business is doing, who works there, how we talk, how we walk. Everything is defined by that value. And that stems from the founders, the big vision of where the company is heading, and that really trickles down to how you speak to your staff, uh, how you speak to your clients, how you hire. It is inherit um, kind of the values that you define internally need to somehow become company values, and everyone on staff needs to start thinking about those values through a lot of different ways our business operates. So we have for our new business team, we, we always discuss, is this the client we want to take on? Do we believe in their mission vision? Uh, do we believe in their work? Are we in line with their work? And those questions are hard to ask oftentimes when you know you need to meet a, a specific quota. For the year, but you must ask them and you could build excuses here and there and you could kind of paint the picture you want to paint because you're blinded by certain points. You might be very taken by the client or they might be a very big brand in the social impact world, but you always ask yourself, "Do, do our values align with the client's?
1: And do you have a very clear, for that decision-making process you're talking in the new business process there, do you have a, a, like a clear, this is our values and, you know, like almost like a checklist or is it more case by case and where, what the team currently feels?
0: For years, it's been kind of a feeling that you get from working at Hyperact. But as the new staff came in, uh, younger staff came in, you really needed to help them understand what the structure is and why these values. And it's not until recently that we started codifying our values. So we just now came from a session working with another consultancy uh, that helped us tease out some of the values that really now are starting to become pillars. I think we have a long way to go to still internalize them and still uh, build culture around them. But it is there. It was developed together with the team it wasn't just myself and my business partner dictating them. We had collectively, at this point, everyone's been in the company for an extended period of time, and they knew what we are made out of. And together, collectively, we build them out.
1: I think that's really interesting that you're getting to that point where you're codifying and kind of clarifying those things. Do you think you ha- you needed that time together with the team and the maturity within the business before you were able to codify that? Or is it something that hypothetically you could have done years ago earlier in the process?
0: I think we could have done this way earlier in the business because all these place, all these items were in place long ago. They were hidden or masked and later unmasked uh, in the process, but they were always there. And I think we could have teased them out earlier. They were just kind of stuck in our heads. If it was a, a form of a feeling or a discussion, it was never concretely codified. I think the reason why we started to ask ourselves this, this question is because one of our team members who's a very incredibly talented strategist, she started asking the question, well, you know, if we're planning this for our new business or we're planning to integrate strategy into all of our work. How do we do this? What, what are our values? How do we say this is our ownable strategy work? And in asking this question, it started trickling down to everything else. It was like a big sm- sweater. You pull on one thread and like another one gets undone ever so slightly. <laughs> and what we we really needed to sit down and say look there's a culture here and we could design this culture. We could codify, codify this culture. There are tools that we could create to sell our clients and we have to codify them. There are so many structures that we need to develop uh, to move this business forward, but we need fundamental structures. And they can't be just a thought, a discussion. We need to come together collectively and agree on them so we all have a full understanding of it. And we did it. So, so much work ahead of us, but this was the first step. Yes, this has been, it took 16 years to get here, but we're here.
1: Yeah, that's totally amazing. And the journey you're describing there is really interesting. You talked a little bit about building the culture there and you mentioned the culture word a few minutes ago as well. Can you give me an example of the kind of thing that you're doing within the team or that the team are doing to codify and concrete and to build this culture?
0: Sure. I should mention that our team fluctuates from about uh, 15 people to 10. On the average, we're probably somewhere in that size. And with every addition of a new team team member, something changes. There's um, the tapestry changes ever so slightly. And what was important for us is to have a fundamental structure. So whoever steps in and whoever we hire fits into the structure. Because sometimes what you uncover is that if something is not structured, you might hire someone who is not quite fitting for the role. For example, in the social impact world, you're working with clients who are incredibly, they have a complex content, they have a lot of it, and they always try to squeeze Everything on the page, and it's a huge challenge. And to be able to work with that challenge of constantly dealing with content, understanding that content, working very closely with a client, understanding their end goals and end needs, yields to hire people who who can work in that environment. Not every designer can do well under such pressure or with such workload and we had to change how we approach our hiring as well what are the best staff members to come work with us and what we have found is that they have to care for social impact it has to be part of their life somehow not just vaguely i care for doing this work but you need to really passionately believe in it because in the long term the kind of work you're going to be doing is just going to be either exciting to you or not exciting to you so that was uh, one of the ways of you know changing who comes into the studio we try to do a lot of collective work and of course there's you know so much to improve it uh, I think it would be not fair to say that everything is working out smoothly we need to do more team building exercises when uh, when the strategy was introduced to our heavy strategy was introduced into our work it really they um, somehow separated design from strategy and they became silos and figuring out how to merge them and have them think together as one unit and not have strategies lead one thing and then pass on the information to the designers. And we've been trying to solve for this conundrum of how strategy overlaps with design for, let say, over three years now. And it still has points of tension and we're trying to think about how to integrate and how to provide both teams with opportunities for significant overlap. I think we also, we do Monday morning meetings where we try to do something fun and exciting, something that allows us to do something else, not work-related. We'll do icebreakers. Sometimes there are brainy exercises and sometimes there are more like physical exercises. Uh, We'll do communal lunches and we'll do communal Monday morning breakfast. We'll try to do, we'll try to go out for drinks together. Just the idea of bringing our community, our team together. I believe strongly that, you know, I spent so much time at work, that I have to build an environment where I want to come to work and the, and I want to make sure that my staff wants to come to work. Every day they come through the door and I want to make sure they have a smile on their face. In parts it's about compensation, it's about the package of benefits, about the space and the people and the kind of work. And when all that comes together as one package, it's a happy team and it's a team that works effectively together.
1: Yeah, so that's incredible. There's so much going on there. <laughs> In that you mentioned the hiring process, and I happened to notice at the time of recording that on your site there is an advertisement for your recruitment thing. And what I really liked about that is in the job description it lists you know who you are, there's a, you know you proven track record and specific design skills and experience. But this one of those bullet points is you have a passion for doing good in the world, and I thought that was really interesting. But it was kind of. You weren't putting it front and center above these other things and you weren't tacking it as a PS at the bottom, but it's in the same level of the criteria. You know, you need the skills to do this job and you need to care about the things that we care about, which fits quite well with what you're describing there. And I'm wondering if that, is that a challenge, not just in recruitment, but within the team? Is there a challenge to kind of balance the skills and the technical ability and the strategy or output of the work and the social value part of the challenge or the mission driven part of the company?
0: Um, yes, it is always challenging. And I think uh, just to remember, you know, being a do-gooder is one of the pillars of you know uh, for hyperact one of the values and excellence is another value and what you're describing in this job description is essentially that we are highlighting the values that we uh, find very important to us which you know you still have to have these skills and we still hold you responsible to getting the job done but it cannot be separated from the social impact as I mentioned if you get someone who is just not passionate about this they will get tired I think the is sometimes something glitzier that contains greater features in advertising world is by far more possible than in a nonprofit world. Clients tend to be they might be dealing with very progressive issues but they are very conservative oftentimes conservative in their understanding of design and their understanding of technology so they it takes a while to educate them and if you are after the latest greatest feature and the latest coolest design then this is not the right place for us for us to work together essentially you will get the person who would join us in such capacity would become bored very quickly, and that would be obvious within the first year. It has happened for us before, and now we strongly recognize that the people who succeed at Hyperac must care for social impact and must. They will learn the skills. I believe if you come in with critical thinking and the social can it be do-gooder and have that element in you, that you will pick up on skills very quickly. I found that to be true for a lot of our staff members who have might have come in with skill sets that are not as fully developed. And if you grow them, if you work with them and you, you sculpt them as designers or strategists, they are able, with this great content that we have generated by our clients, we can really build something amazing.
1: Okay, so just very slightly changing tack. There's a, another cool thing that I see that Hyperact does, the CoHyperact Labs, Can you tell me a little bit about what that is?
0: Sure. HyperX Labs is our playground. We try to experiment with topics, ideas, tools that allow us to do things that are different from our everyday work. And, um, as I mentioned, some of our clients, they have certain things that they have to do. They have to develop. They either new organization, they need branding, they need website, and maybe they need some print material, and that may be it. But for a business that's trying to push ideas of experience design, and thinking about building, designing not just items, but also, communities, products, um, processes, teams, it becomes uh, something else for us. So HyperX Labs is essentially something that we use to experiment with. We have, behind our belt, we have so many different labs and some have been very successful and some not so much. And we let that pretty much go. If the project has legs and grows, wonderful, we'll support it. If it doesn't, it was a nice try. And this is open to the whole team. Uh, They could do whatever they feel is in line with HyperX mission and vision. Mm, So a lot of these experiments need to fall back into the structure that we created HyperX. But some of the examples of that are uh, lunch talks. Uh, Lunch talks are it's a series of conversations once a month we open our doors to our community we bring a speaker someone on the topic of design and social impact or experimental design and we bring them through our doors we invite our community about 60 or 80 people open our doors, we provide food, we have a beer sponsor, and we just have a conversation. It happens once a month on a Friday. So usually it's it takes a format of a, a short presentation, 20-30 minutes, and then a question and answer followed after that, and then we have more like mingling time with people. And we are located in this industrial part of town, which is very much off the beaten path. And I'm amazed every month to see how many people come through our doors and make it out to to this area. And we've been doing it now since 2010. So significant number of years too. So that's one project. We also have a project that is doing really well. It's called On the Grid. And On the Grid is a collection of over 500 neighborhoods guides that were curated by local creatives in about 100 cities around the world. And more of that community is growing and growing and growing. And that idea came from when we moved to our industrial part of town, Gowanus in Brooklyn. We knew nothing about the neighborhood. It felt kind of deserted and seemed like there was nothing much happening. But at another closer look, we noticed there are cool coffee shops, small restaurants, and you wouldn't think much of them. But they were amazing, and they were fun. And we wanted to document it for ourselves, for our friends. Well, we did one guide, and then we did another one, and we asked another uh, studio to do their neighborhood. And somehow it gotten picked up, and people were interested in curating their neighborhoods, it, it was a real passion for a lot of people. And again, you know, another another example of how a community now, not physical, not the one that comes through our doors, but a community across the globe that's participating in this and willingly donating their time to documenting their neighborhoods. So there's some sort of, there must be pride of their own spots and they want to share this. And I put it to test when for the first time I visited London. And I ended up, I think there was a a studio called Hyperkit, not to be confused with Hyperact, (laughs) that curated a neighborhood. And I followed their lead on all of these uh, cool spots. And I, I couldn't believe they were so weird and unusual. I don't think I would have come across them had I just been a regular tourist. I would have picked up some, you know, Lonely Planet guidebook and uh, stuck to that, but their choices were fantastic and very much in line with my, my taste. So that was exciting to experience. And we've launched a product called On Neighborhoods, which is a physical product. This was just an exercise in seeing if we could do anything with our uh, physical uh, development of physical products and figuring out how to deal with customers. So it was an entirely different uh, platform. And these are various hand lettered uh, neighborhoods etched in cedar wood. And sometimes it's just like a, almost like a, a poster size art. Sometimes it's these are coasters, uh, keychains and we've figured out that we built a product some are popular some are not but bottom line is that this business is doing well and we had to split it off from Hyperact because it was you know it's just it was covering its own expenses it was generating profit and it only made sense for it to kind of be on its own on its own legs so that's another success but Listen, in between all those successes, there were plenty of failures, (laughs) plenty of experiments that are just so small and so simple. They were good for the time and they were essentially what led us to some of the major,
1: bigger projects. I think that's brilliant and is there a challenge if you're doing this kind of work that's internal and driven by the team and driven by you? Is there a conflict between basically the paying client work? How do you fit it in?
0: It's hard. (laughs) Um, when we decide that there is a project we want to support, we develop a very similar project timeline as we would do for a client. We would create internal meetings to make sure that we're chipping away. I think a lot of what we found is that most of our employees do really well with client work. And, and it is not unless, uh, usually my business partner, Deroy, champions for a lot of our lab projects, unless there's one champion that pushes this forward projects don't take off. And there was a year, a couple of years ago when my business partner said, you know, I'm going to take a step back from some of our client work and I'm only going to concentrate on lab projects. It wasn't really the case. He wasn't concentrating on all of the lab projects, but he was doing majority of lab projects work. And my God, we produce oh, so much work in that year. And it was fascinating to see how even though we, we were producing a lot of lab projects, we were still doing so well from the paying projects. And that was the balance. You kind of need the outlet of experimentation if you can't get that with your client work. And we tried to take these ideas now that we have developed in our labs and say, let's find ways to uh, collaborate with our clients or find ways to partner with someone else that uses this platform, uses this process. And... I have to say that it is only now that we are trying – I would say in the past few years we were able to make the full loop in that we were try, we developed an idea and now we're trying to bring that idea to a client. And a client is sold on that idea and buys into it. And now we have a partnership with one of our clients to develop what we call um, – After the election here in the United States, we were also just crushed. And we had come up with this idea that as creatives, we could publish posters, political posters, or any posters that stand up for our values on this platform. And we could open it to the masses and this will be available for anyone to download. And we proposed this idea to ACLU. And now, together with ACLU, we are building um, design resistance and partnership. And that's kind of like amazing when you have this idea, startup idea, No, you don't know whether it will succeed. (laughs) It's kind of throwing a dart and hoping that it lands smack in the center, but, you know, who knows where it's going to go. And then it lands, and it lands smack in a center for a client to be excited and willing to spend the money and invest into it as well as much as you do
1: yeah that's a brilliant story <laughs> so looking forward to the future of hyperact do you have a vision for where you want the agency to go
0: yeah i think our work today i would say our work is still in a somewhat traditional sphere we developed a brand strategy and brand identities and we apply them into digital environments and what we see more and more of is that you are starting to collaborate and co-create with clients and sometimes when you are in a position of uh, co-creation, you you need to walk into the room and not be prescribing solutions. So a lot of our work starts now, slowly, starts now with asking the why, what is the problem and trying to help client ideate long before they arrive to a conclusion of what the final product must be. And that's an exciting place uh, for us because the end product could easily be a conference. It could be a, a experience, a digital experience. It could be a video. We don't know what the final end product would be. And we are slightly shifting in how we're thinking about the outputs we will be producing. We want to become more of a thought partners and ideators for our clients and be producers of some of that work internally. And some of the ideas that might come of it might not be something we can produce ourselves, but we will have to find a network of creative talent to execute on this vision that the client sets forward and that is exciting it is scary (laughs) it is exciting and then I feel like it's the next chapter for us as a business where we are thought partners and creators together
1: and does that reflect do you think in terms of your mission and the core the social mission of your business does that reflect any changes in the mission as, as you make this kind of business change
0: I think the mission stays the same. A mission doesn't change. We are still doing the work we want to be doing for the kind of clients we want to be doing. The beliefs are not changing. We still believe that everyone deserves a fair chance, and we will support organizations that continue. Uh, working with people to address that equitability in the world. So none of this will change. I think the outputs that we will produce will change ever so slightly. We will still be doing the branding aspect of it. We'll still be doing the digital because that's not going away. That's a necessary item that must be across the board for everyone. But in addition to that, there will be opportunities to experiment in other ways.
1: Wow. Yeah, it sounds really wonderful. It sounds like a really great, both looking back and looking forward. It sounds like there's so much, um, so much amazing stuff there.
0: Mm, Thank you.
1: Um, Unfortunately, we're running out of time. So I just wanted to ask one final question for people who want to find out a little bit more about Hyperact and the work that you do, the clients you work with, and a little bit more, where should we point them?
0: Oh, sure. Come to our website. It's hyperact.com. It's spelled with a K. So I'll spell it H-Y-P-E-R-A-K-T
1: Thank you so much, Julia. I really appreciate your time today.
0: Thank you so much, Barry.
1: You can get all the links and notes from this episode on happyporchradio.com where you can also find out how to send us questions, feedback and get involved in the conversation about this series. If you enjoyed the show, please share with anyone else who might enjoy it too.